unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this week's show, as we head towards the beginning of the baseball season, my pleasure once again to have Atlanta Braves broadcaster Chip Carey back on the show. Chip is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Well, March Madness, and I think when you type out madness, you need to double the size of the font. (laughs) Wow, this has been an amazing tournament so far. I'm recording Monday evening. It's about 5.30. and look at all the upsets we've had in the first uh, first couple of rounds so far. You know, and the one thing that even this season, I think was still relevant in seasons prior, 13 and 14 seeds are no longer pushovers. Um, and, you know, the, and now we've had a 15 seed uh, move on in the tournament as well. So you look at that fact that that, that, that parity is getting closer and closer and it might be taking advantage of a year that is unlike any other, but uh, nonetheless, Oral Roberts, a 15 seed, first uh, team as a 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16 since uh, Dunk City of Florida Gulf Coast in 2013. They beat Ohio State, the two seed, and Florida, the seven seed. Abilene Christian takes out Texas. North Texas takes out Purdue. Ohio down Virginia. Loyola Chicago, uh, they beat the top seed Illinois. And then one of the more remarkable games of the tournament and uh, uh, certainly a gut check time situation, Houston having to rally to beat Rutgers. Dejon Giroux, what a, what a man. That guy with the hit pointer and all willed his team to victory. And uh, the Cougars as a two seed. Uh, now I'll move on in a great spot now that Illinois is out of the way. Big team, Big Ten teams, man, they are dropping like flies. Nine made it in. As of this recording, only two remain. And the Pac-12 is undefeated. So who had that? Whew, just crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, but uh, the tournament has been excellent so far. Adjusting through the Adjusting to the Friday through Monday schedule. Normally it's Thursday through Sunday, but uh, here we are and. uh, it's been fantastic. And uh, as far as the coverage of the tournament, uh, big props to uh, Turner for bringing Andy Katz of NCAA.com. Of course, the longtime uh, ESPN basketball insider has made a world of difference. They had to do the studio a little different this year. You know, typically it's uh, Greg Gumble and Ernie Johnson splitting time in New York with uh, Clark Kellogg, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley. Uh, but I think with all the COVID things going around, uh, the, you know, and then there was a, like a, uh, a secondary set in Atlanta, which Adam Zucker uh, would uh, be over with like Wally Zerbiak and uh, some other folks. They'd bring in coaches and whatnot. Uh, but this year they decided to go with uh, Gumbel, Kellogg, Seth Davis, and Wally Zerbiak in New York, Ernie Johnson, Kenny, uh, and uh, Charles, and adding Andy Katz to the mix. And Andy gives them that, that, that huge... Uh, college basketball credibility because the rest of the guys are NBA guys. So uh, a good move on that side of the front. And speaking of TV, new NFL TV deals. And uh, the big winner, I think, in that is ESPN ABC is they're going to have some Monday Night Football doubleheaders. I like the 7 o'clock starts of the first game. That's nice. And I think one game will be on ESPN, the other on ABC. And then that also gets now them now in the Super Bowl rotation. And the NFL still 
sinking most of their coverage in over-the-air television. Although the cord cutting uh, in a couple of years will start to have more impact, the Thursday package will be exclusively on Amazon Prime uh, going forward. But again, uh, that's a couple of years down the road with the extension of the new TV deals. And sad news, 11-time NBL star Elgin Baylor passing away at the age of 86. One of the all-time great Lakers of the 60s and early 70s, smooth scorer, terrific rebounder. Also one of the class individuals in the sport, including his time as GM of the L.A. Clippers. In fact, on uh, today's uh, coverage of the NCAA tournament, Ernie Johnson told a great story of his college exploits as he led the Seattle Chieftains to the NCAA title game against Kentucky in 1958. And although they lost that game, Elgin Baylor had 25 points and 12 rebounds, and he did it with broken ribs. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show Atlanta Braves play-by-play man Chip Carey. Chip, thanks once again for being on for the third straight year. Certainly appreciate your time. Happy to help. Third time's a charm. Glad to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chip, uh, now that you've had a little time to think about it, uh, what are your thoughts on the Braves' run to the NLCS during last year's speed round season and being just one game away from the World Series? Obviously a disappointing finish, but it doesn't diminish in any way what the Braves were able to accomplish with such a young team. Uh, The fact that their starting rotation was pretty much shredded by the second week of the season, yet they made it to within one game of knocking off the vaunted Dodgers, who eventually won the World Series. Uh, I think it was a gigantic step forward for this group. Remember, the Braves had not won a playoff series in uh, 19, 20 years before they advanced to the NLCS last season. So I think as a group, they took huge strides forward. I think as a group, they figured out uh, just how good they are. They know they have a window uh, during which they can achieve a lot of success. They know they have to clean up a few things if they're to be a team as deep and as talented as the Dodgers, as that was uh, you know, evidenced by base running mistakes and things like that uh, in that seven-game series. Uh, but bottom line, uh, look, if you're going to rate it on a scale of 10, it'd be a, it had to be a 9. The only way it would have been better would have been to have gone to the World Series. And if you win it, you, win, you go 11 out of 10. So uh, I think everybody in Atlanta was thrilled with what happened, disappointed in the outcome, uh, and eagerly looking forward to this team taking that next step in 2021. So obviously they you know, had to navigate COVID last year, and you guys as broadcasters had to do the same thing, road games from the home press box. What are the uh, protocols to start this season? Uh, from what I understand, at least to start, it's the same thing, which I hate. Uh, I've been vaccinated, so uh, you know I'm free and clear and ready to go. But uh, you know what I want doesn't matter, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, at least at the beginning of the season. So uh, for now, I guess we'll continue to do the games in the studio or from a studio in the ballpark. And when the Braves are in town, we'll have fans in the stadium which I think will add a lot to the ambiance. And hopefully, uh, as things ramp up and more and more people get vaccinated, we'll uh, loosen some of these restrictions. We'll actually get back to uh, being on site and broadcasting the games and give our fans, I think, the best possible perspective because there's nothing like being there. It's really hard to describe what goes on off a TV monitor and without the interactions, which accounts for about 90% of what we do uh, and say on the broadcast. We understand why. Uh, We understand uh, health and safety come first. Uh, But my own personal opinion is we've moved far beyond that now, and I think it's time to start loosening things up and getting back to normal. I think that do all of us a whole lot of good. Of course, uh, rule changes were brought in last year with the uh, universal DH, the runner on second for extra innings, seven-inning doubleheaders, three-hitter minimum for pitchers. Uh, The DH won't be this year, but uh, how do you think they affected the game, and did you find yourself having, having any different opinions about them after seeing them in action? 
Yeah, I did. I, I, you know, I'm a traditional guy. I live the National League game. I hated the DH, but uh, the more I saw it, the more I liked it. Uh, the way I've described it, quite frankly, is if you've seen National League pitchers hit, uh, it makes you want to barf. So I'd rather see a professional <laughs> hitter up there instead of a guy uh, flailing away and sitting down. Uh, you know, look, uh, I understand why they had the the, uh, uh, the, the seven-inning doubleheaders and why they had the runners at second. The last thing they wanted was, in the COVID world, having guys around each other and congregating and ris- uh, raising the risk of, uh, uh, you know, cross-contamination and the like. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised by all the rules, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought they worked very well. I especially love the seven-inning doubleheaders. Uh, it, it, you know, it made the game uh, you know, obviously go a lot faster, uh, but it was pretty much, uh, you know, intensity with each and every pitch because you knew the game was a heck of a lot shorter. Uh, I'd like to see more doubleheaders employed. I'd like to see that, you know, something to give back to the fans. It's a way you could expand playoffs. It's a way you could shorten the regular season and still get 162 games in. Uh, but again, they don't listen to me. I'm not the commissioner, and that's a an issue for collective bargaining, but uh, the runner at second rule didn't bother me as much. Uh, you know what? It didn't. It didn't really uh, uh, have an impact on me. I'd like to see it in a tenth inning, not necessarily the ninth inning. And a rule that I heard uh, discussed, or you know, somebody banded about, is have your top three hitters. If you're going to do a gimmick rule, why not have your one, two, three hitters come up against bullpens and see what they can do every inning, and just let those guys wail away. You get the best hitters up more often. You get them up in extra innings, and you get to see what they do against the real good bullpens in the game. I'm sure that stuff will be talked about, stuff will be tweaked, but by and large, I think, considering, as you said, the uh, uh, rapid-fire season that was 2020, uh, why not try these things in, uh, in in the Petri dish of Major League Baseball and see what works and what didn't? And uh, I think, like many of us, uh, I was pleasantly surprised that most of those things uh, did work and worked very well. And, of course, we won't have the DH this season, but, uh, you know, the Braves' big offseason, uh, getting to re-sign Marcelo Zuna, I'm sure that makes Freddie Freeman very, very happy. And, and you know, people forget that, uh, you know, the, the Braves were willing to go with Ozuna before the DH was implemented last year in the outfield. I think a little bit has been made too much of that. How about you? Uh, you know, it was a one-year deal. I think that's what makes it different uh, with Ozuna last year. You know, if, if it didn't work out, you weren't obligated long-term. You know, if for some reason defensively he didn't pan out or he got hurt or what have you. Uh, but Eric Young, we talked to him on one of our broadcasts uh, uh, this past weekend, and he's really challenged Ozuna. And Ozuna wants to be a better outfielder than he's shown the last couple of years. Look, he's not a butcher out there. He's not a gold glover either. But he's surely going to drive in more than he's going to let in. So I think the Braves are very comfortable with having Ozuna in the outfield, at least for this season. To your point about the DH, yeah, I think we're going to have it next year. I also think it's stupid that we don't have it this year, considering the success that we had, considering that in our league uh, we have pitchers like Mike Soroka coming back from injury, and he's got to run the bases. Batters, uh, pitch, uh, Batter pitchers haven't swung the bat in 18 months, and the risk of obliques and all that stuff running the bases and all, uh, I, I think uh, our goal should be to try to keep guys on the field. And if we're going to deal with special circumstances, at least for another year, we should have brought the DH back and then figured out what to do uh, in 22 and beyond. But again, that was a decision that's been made way above my pay grade. And uh, as I said before, uh, there are some mixed emotions. You know, I, I love the National League game. I just hope that it doesn't come at the expense of somebody getting hurt running the bases as opposed to, uh, you know, throwing a fastball or, or uh, you know, uh, going through their, their normal range of motion exercises as an athlete on the mound. And of course, Freddie Freeman, MVP. That's uh, you know great news. Uh, you know he certainly has been a, a candidate for some time, and uh, finally breaking through uh, with that last year. And uh, you know he could he could still certainly add that to his trophy case, but obviously his mind is on on the bigger trophy. 
Yeah, I, he talked to Chipper Jones about that. You know, Chipper was an MVP, and Chipper has a World Series ring, and that's exactly what Chipper Jones said to him. Look, you've got the individual hardware. Now there's one more thing you got to get, and that's the World Series. And uh, all these guys, I think, are motivated by that. You know, Freddie's a team guy. Uh, he stayed here when things weren't going well, when the Braves were in the midst of their rebuild and all of that. And, uh, you know, we all hope that he'll be rewarded and be able to play, uh, you know, a full season and stay healthy and get his contract uh, extended and finish his his career as a Brave. I'm sure that uh, that's something that all of us uh, will see happen sooner rather than later. I have no no inside knowledge of that, but I'm sure they're talking about it. And when the time's right, they'll announce it. Uh, But look, Freddie Freeman's a great player. He's an MVP. Uh, We had two MVP candidates, not only Freeman, but Marcelo Zuna, that they're back together. Uh, back-to-back in the lineup is good news for us, bad news for the rest of the league, and hopefully both of those guys over 162 games will uh, be able to do what they did last year, which was propel the Braves to another division title. And then you look at uh, you know the veteran leadership of Freeman and all these young guys that he gets to lead when you look at Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies, and Ronald Acuna Jr., date of birth in the late 90s, uh, and you get paid to watch these guys every day. Yeah, it makes me feel old. Uh, you know, that's the, the, the funny thing about this team is we talk about how young they are, and I'm just as guilty of that as everybody. But, you know, they're kind of a veteran team now, uh, even with the 60-game schedule of last season. And this group's been around a while. They've been around together for a while. And I think they're excited about what they can do and what they can do together. And as I said, they came one game short of their ultimate goal, which was getting to the World Series. But uh, it's a good group. They've got a great window. They've got guys locked up for a long period of time. They've got more prospects coming. Uh, I think Alex Anthopoulos has done a remarkable job of not coming in and trying to be the big campus and show his acumen as a general manager by trading away prospects just to make a deal. Uh, he's really sat on his uh, powder, as you, as it were, and uh, uh, he's kept all these guys uh, in the system with the exception of going out and getting guys like Shane Green and Mark Melanson. And when he did that, he gave up good players, but they certainly weren't in the top 10, top 20 on the Braves prospect list. So uh, he's been very patient. Uh, he's done an excellent job of keeping the farm system together. Braves have done an excellent job of drafting and developing, which is necessary because of the international restrictions that I believe are over now uh, due to the previous regime's malfeasance. So, uh, you know, I think everything's, as I said, trending trending very well for the ball club. They've got a nice window, and hopefully, as I said, they'll be able to take advantage here in the next year or so. As far as the pitching staff goes, Drew Smiley's been added. Charlie Morton returns to the Braves. Mike Soroka due back in April, it looks like. The emergence of Ian Anderson and Max Freed, who stepped up in the number one role when Soroka went down with the Achilles injury. Braves got to like their starting staff uh, situation much better than they were going into last year. Well, last year, you remember the, the starting staff was going to be Soroka 1, Freed 2, uh, Cole Hamels, uh, Mike fulton Sean Newcomb, and or Kyle Wright and or Bryce Wilson and or Tukey Toussaint uh, and or Felix Hernandez. Um, Hernandez uh, didn't make it to make it through the second COVID camp. Uh, Cole Hamels was hurt the entire year. Soroka blew out his Achilles, as you know, and Fultonevich and Newcomb weren't very good. Uh, so, as I said, uh, two weeks into August, by that time, the envisioned starting five of the Braves was down to the Lone Ranger, Max Freed. He ends up going undefeated and finishes in the top five in the Cy Young voting last year. So, um, yeah, they, they feel a lot more confident about what they have because those kids all stepped up and did what did an unbelievable job in postseason play and somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, Max Freed's turned into a staff ace. Soroka, you figure, will be back. Alex Anthopoulos hinted it might be sometime in April, as you said. If not, you're looking at early May, which means the Braves are probably going to have six guys for five spots or seven guys for five spots, which in this season, which is now 162 games instead of 60, you're going to need that kind of depth. And that's why I think 
the Braves are so uniquely and well positioned. They're going to run a quality starter at you every single day. And if they need to or want to give guys like Freed uh, or Anderson uh, or Smiley or Morton or whomever is in rotation an extra day or two of rest, they have the luxury of being able to do that. And there aren't too many teams that, that uh, have the ability to say that. So, yeah, I think they feel very good about their pitching uh, with the exception of Morton and Smiley. It's a young group. Uh, but again, with Max Fried and Mike Soroka, for example, they've got some big game experience under their belts already. And so the Braves feel like they, too, are turning a corner now or moving to uh, young veteran status, not just rookie and young pitcher status. So uh, that does make everybody feel a whole lot more confident. And the bullpen, you know, really helped them weather that storm when the starting pitching uh, had its uh, had its issues. Uh, uh, how does that look going into this season? It's different pen. Look, Mark Melanson's in San Diego. Shane Green, I guess, is asking prices so high that uh, he hasn't found a job yet. Uh, Will Smith looks terrific this camp. He never got uh, uh, going last year with the COVID situation. He was just uh, pitching uphill, it seemed, all year long last year. A.J. Mentor has taken great strides. Jacob Webb's probably going to make this bullpen. He's a hard-throwing right-hander. You know, there are guys... Uh, that are getting opportunities down there. And when they got those chances last year, they pitched extremely well and gave Brian Snicker an awful lot of confidence because the Braves feel like their starting staff is better and deeper than it was last year. I don't know that there's going to be the emphasis on the relief court this year that there was last season because, again, you didn't know with these young guys whether they were going to go five innings or two. Uh, I think they feel a whole lot more confident that they're going to get five or six innings consistently out of the starting staff, which allows them to to, uh, piece it together over the final three innings, hopefully with the lead more often than not. So, uh, yeah, it's a good group. It's a different group, but that's the nature of the game. Bullpens change over more than any other spot in Major League Baseball, and ours is no exception. Uh, But the Braves aren't just shuffling guys in there. They've got quality arms from the left side and right side. They can get uh, opposite-armed hitters out which, again, gives Brian a whole lot more flexibility with that three-batter uh, minimum rule. How would you evaluate the competition in the NLE? Steve Cohen looks willing to spend money as the new Mets owner. Philadelphia's got firepower. Washington, one season removed from being a World Series champ. And the Miami Marlins, a surprise playoff team in the shortened season last year. Tough division, lots of good pitching. Uh, look, I think the Braves are the team to beat. Obviously, they've won the division the last three years, and until somebody knocks them off the perch, uh, you'd have to say they're the favorites. They've got the bullseye on them, and rightfully so. Uh, everybody likes the Mets, and that's understandable, but losing Carrasco doesn't help them. Syndergaard's not healthy yet, and Jacob deGrom can't pitch every day. So uh, you've got to wonder about the New York Mets and the depth of their bullpen and all of that. But, uh, look, they're, they're going to be a, a team that's going to score a lot of runs. Francisco Lindor, for fans who don't know him, is one of the game's bright stars. If he had been playing in New York his entire career instead of Cleveland, he'd be on Wheaties boxes and uh, he'd be on the cover of uh, video games and all that kind of stuff. He's that good of a player. And while we'll hate to see him facing us 19 times, if you're a fan of baseball, you'll love watching the way this kid plays. Uh, you're right about the Nationals. They added John Lester. They added Josh Bell. They added Kyle Schwarber. Offense was the big problem for them last season. Um, but they've got their big four. Scherzer, Strasburg, Lester, and Corbin. If those guys are on, uh, you're going to have a hard time scoring runs against them, and that's the way Washington's going to have to play. I don't think offensively they're as potent as they have been in years past, but they're still a very good team, and they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder, as you said, to get back to postseason play. And two years removed from a World Series, they want to get back there as well. Uh, the Phillies, uh, once you get past Wheeler and Nola, what's the rest of the rotation looking like? Matt Moore supposedly is throwing the ball well. They've revamped their bullpen. JT Realmuto's got a broken hand. He's hoping to be back by the first week of the season, although the Braves wouldn't mind it at all if he took that time off because they play the Phillies six times in their first ten games. 
Uh, you know, it'd be nice if he took a little more, uh, more of a rest. You've got Bryce Harper and the like, uh, but I think the Phillies are trying to figure out what they are. They've got Dave Dabrowski in charge now, and they've got a new regime, so they've got to figure that out and, and how to fix their bullpen and protect leads, which was the problem. They had the worst bullpen in baseball last year, and it really, really uh, cost them dearly. And as you mentioned, the Marlins, they're on their way. Uh, they've got terrific young arms. Derek Jeter and his group are putting together a quality uh, product down in Miami. It takes courage to have patience, and they've been very, very patient protecting their system. They traded away great players. But the guys that they dra- that they received in return, they drafted and scouted them very, very well, and they're giving them a chance now to come to the major leagues. And I can promise you this, uh, the Marlins may not win the East, but I can guarantee you no one's going to want to face them 19 times. And if you stumble against the Marlins, you're going to have a lot of trouble winning the division, as the Phillies well know. So <laughs> top to bottom, it's going to be a great race in the East. And uh, you know, it might be a year where 91, 92 wins is more than enough to get it done. But it's going to be a really tough, uh, tough path to 92, as good as these other four teams are besides the Braves. And Brian Snicker, another contract extension. And, uh, you know, the, the fabulous job he has done with this team as a, life, a lifer with the Braves. Uh, I, I know so many people are very happy for him and, and the job he's doing. Yeah, he's a terrific person. Forget the baseball stuff. We all know that. But as a person, he's great. He's a great leader. He, he sets the tone with this group. And he's a guy that um, just does an exceptional job of communicating. I mean, today's players, that's what they want more than anything else. Just tell them what to expect. And if you can do that and relate to them as a human being first and as a baseball person second, I think that really resonates well with this group. I know that's how uh, he treats us in the media, and we're not even in the locker room uh, these days because of the COVID restrictions. But uh, Brian gets it. He's a great guy, as you said, a lifer. Uh, I can't think of anybody that has earned uh, um, all the accolades and success that he's had. He's a guy that's been a loyal soldier for a long, long time. Uh, everybody who's known Brian Snitker as an organizational man, as a third base coach, as one of Bobby Cox's lieutenants, uh, that he got this job and has done such a good job isn't surprising. Uh, what's surprising, I think, is that it just took so darn long for him to finally get his chance, and boy, he's made the most of it. And it was a tough offseason for Braves country. You know, we lost three Hall of Famers, Phil Necro, Nuxie, uh, Don Sutton, who became a beloved broadcaster after a great playing career, and of course the all-time home run king Henry Aaron. Uh, could hey, you... and we lost Bill, and we, and we lost Bill Bartholomew too uh, late last year. Bill was the man that brought the Braves to uh, Atlanta from Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, look, these were all iconic people, iconic people not just in the sport but in the franchise's history. And uh, look, we all stand on the shoulders of giants uh, in the positions that we have. And uh, whenever we uh, you know sit back and reflect on all that is great about the Braves franchise, and there's a lot of it it's in large part due to the efforts of guys like those that you mentioned and they will be terribly missed uh hank aaron was just a beacon of, of sunshine every time you saw him you just you just couldn't help but be awed by the aura that he had like you're standing in the same room as the man that until barry bonds came along it hit more home runs than anybody else in the history of major league baseball uh, don sutton 324 wins phil negro with his dancing knuckleball and his wry smile always with a joke and, and, and an aside it made you just feel like you were a uh, part of something uh you know the, the great thing about all the braves people that are in the hall of fame or in the uh, braves hall of fame the vast majority of them are the most unassuming Hall of Fame people you'd ever meet. And I think that's a reason why they're so successful um, and we're so successful. Um, not a care in the world, not an ego in the world. And by that, I mean, you know, they had things that they've got, you know, um, they got kind of persnickety about, and that's understandable. But by and large, they treated people with respect and they commanded respect. And as a result, you liked them even more. And uh, as you said, we will miss them all very, very much, but uh, we will certainly never forget them either. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chip, I, as always, I appreciate the time. And the one thing, the favor I've got to ask of you is you got to have Jeff Francoeur get Frenchie's Blues down in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he doesn't drink them all, I will certainly yeah, I will certainly see what I can do with regards to that. But that's a very popular beer at the ballpark. And uh, thankfully, we're going to have fans in the ballpark to start the season, hopefully more as we move toward the All-Star break. And I'm sure Jeff and everybody else can't wait to see the Frenchie's Blues flowing. Uh, I know I can't, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to seeing our great fans at the ballpark here in a couple weeks. All right. As always, we appreciate it, Chip. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back with the TV theme to close things out right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. And that theme from the TV show The Rookies that aired on ABC from 1972 to 1976, following the exploit of three rookie police officers working in the unidentified city for the fictitious Southern California Police Department, centering around the character names of Danko, Webster, and Gillis, and their superior officer and mentor, Lieutenant Riker. Riker's a great policeman's name, right? The show from the Aaron Spelling Letter Goldberg stable and each episode showcased highly dramatized versions of police chases and activities, often intertwined with the off-duty lives of the officers and their significant others. Others, uh, Danko, the only one in the series who was married, the cast, George Stanford Brown, terrific actor. Of course, he also is uh, legendary from his directing and producing work. He was Officer Terry Webster. Uh, Sam Melville was Officer Mike Danko. And he did a lot of uh, villain appearances in many TV shows in the 60s and 70s. Michael Antkian as uh, Willie Gillis. Gerald S. O'Loughlin as Lieutenant Ed Riker. And the biggest name to come out of that show was one Kate Jackson, who played the wife of Officer Danko. She was Jill, and she was a registered nurse. And that was uh, her big break before... Charlie's Angels. In fact, they during the series' third season, uh, they had a two-part episode that was entitled SWAT, and that served as the pilot for that series. It was a two-part air- episode that aired, and evidently was subsequently never part of the syndicated TV rerun package 
as it was decided that it might confuse viewers as to which TV show that it belonged. And so both of those parts of the SWAT pilot, which they call those a backdoor pilot, are now considered lost. And thanks again to Chip Carey, the Atlanta Braves broadcaster, for joining us once again for a little preview of the baseball season. And with that, we are done here. Jeff Allen, you are a sweet bastard. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.